0: Well, today is the final week in our series on identity. We've been talking about this idea of, of where we find our sense of who we are, where we, we find that which gives us meaning, that which gives us purpose and direction. And we've, we've talked about how for Christians, if we look anywhere else other than our union with christ being joined with christ through faith if we look anywhere else for a sense of this is who i am or this is this is what's helping me navigate through life then we are just setting ourselves up for disappointment and the reason for that is everything else in our lives and in the world is subject to change and guaranteed to end. And so if we if we pour our lives into our marriage, our relationship with our spouse, and we want to be a, a dedicated husband and a, or a dedicated wife, as honorable as that is, if we find our sense of who we are and our sense of direction in life based upon that relationship, We are guaranteed to be disappointed because it will change and eventually it will end. If we pour our lives into our children and all of their activities and we think I'm such a great mom, I'm such a great dad, I'm so dedicated to my kids, there is a point where they will need us less than they have before and that relationship is subject to change and end whether it's our job or our hobbies, anything else, it is all subject to change and guaranteed to end. But for those who have been born again, who have been given eyes to see and ears to hear our need for Christ, and we have turned to Christ in repentance and faith, who we are because of what God has done for us through Jesus's sinless life, his sacrificial death on the cross, and his resurrection from the dead, that is the ultimate reality. That is the thing of most significance in our lives. Whether we're single, married, or widowed, whether we're employed or unemployed, whether we are healthy or our health is absolutely decimated and we are on our deathbed, no matter what is going on, we can say, here's who I am in Christ. And that is guaranteed. It is sure. Now we can make a long list today of of who we are in Christ, all the things that are true about us because of our union with Christ. But The past several weeks, we've been focusing on four realities or four identities that flow from the transforming power of the gospel in our lives, who we are because of what God has done. And the first of those that we talked about the first week is that we are family because of the gospel, because of who God is and what he has done for us in Christ We are family. We have God as our father. We have Jesus as our older brother. We are no longer orphans. We are brothers and sisters. And so that impacts the way that we relate to one another in the church. It impacts the way that we interact with Christians in general. And it even impacts our allegiance or our loyalty to our own flesh and blood family. Not that we reject them or that we neglect them, but we acknowledge that there is a greater reality that I am related to this person by blood for a lifetime, but I am related to this person by the blood of Christ for eternity. And so there is a priority, even a ranking in relationships. Jesus himself exhibits this for us during his life. We also have seen that we're students. We have a savior and master who is also a teacher. And he commands us to learn his ways and obey his commands and then turn around and teach them to others. So that means that we should have a mindset that we are always learning. We are always growing. We've never arrived. And we should always be teachable. Then last week we talked about another identity that's true because of who God is and what he's done for us in Christ, that we are servants. Our Lord Jesus commanded us to follow his example of being a servant and laying down our very lives in service for others. So that means we live with the reality that it's not about us, that we are not too important for any task, and that everything that we do is ultimately done Unto the Lord, it's ultimately for God, and I hope that we all remember these, and I hope that they help us navigate through life, both individually and corporately. That we think I- I'm a part of the family of God. I'm a student of Christ. I am a servant of everyone for Christ's sakes. That we that we think about that, and and I've even looked into getting some signage to put that around our buildings so that it becomes part of our culture, that we are a church who is committed to gospel doctrine. We want to get the Doctrine of the gospel right, who Jesus is, who we are by nature, our need for the cross, what Jesus accomplished at the cross, what is required for us to receive the benefits of what Jesus accomplished at the cross. Gospel doctrine is something that's important to us, but then we have this gospel identity, who we are because of the gospel, and then that bleeds into gospel culture, how we live together because of the gospel, So this is important, and I hope that it will stick with us. But the final identity that we're going to look at today that belongs to everyone who calls themselves a Christian is we're missionaries. The final identity that we're going to look at is we're missionaries. And I want to share this quote from Charles Spurgeon. Uh, In the event you don't know who Charles Spurgeon is, he's probably one of the most famous Baptist preachers that ever was. He Uh, pastored in england in the 1800s had a church of thousands of people that he would preach to every sunday long before the invention of a microphone and here's what spurgeon said in one of his sermons and i think it should be on the screen as well if jesus is precious to you you will not be able to keep your good news to yourself you will be whispering it into your child's ear You will be telling it to your husband. You will be earnestly imparting it to your friend. Without charms of eloquence, you will be more than eloquent. Your heart will speak and your eyes will flash as you talk of his sweet love. Every Christian here is either, this is Spurgeon, is either a missionary or an imposter. Recollect that. You either try to spread abroad the kingdom of Christ or else you do not love him at all. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. Of course, I do not mean by that that those who use the pen are silent. They are not. And those who help others use the tongue or spread that which others have written are doing their part well. But the man who says, I believe in Jesus, but does not think enough of Jesus ever to tell another about him by mouth or pen or tract is an imposter. Now, that's a really strong statement, right? I mean, you're either a missionary or you're an imposter. You either tell other people about Jesus or you don't love him. Wow. Those are really strong words. Dogmatic, one might even say. So what does the Bible say? Well, I invite you to turn with me today to John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23, as we consider this gospel identity of being a missionary. John's gospel, chapter 20, beginning in verse 19. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. This is the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his word. Amen. Amen. So our passage for today takes place on Easter Sunday. It's the first day of the week, it's the day that Christ was raised from the dead, making it, and every Sunday thereafter, as significant because it is referred to as the Lord's Day. And we see that on this day, the day that Christ rose from the dead, the two Marys, they went to the tomb to see if they could prepare Jesus's body. But when they arrived at the tomb, they found that the stone was rolled away and the body of our Lord Jesus was not there and they saw an angel or two angels, who proclaimed that the Lord was not there. And then finally, they saw Jesus himself. And so they went and they told the disciples all that they had seen. And Peter and John, they raced to the empty tomb and find that it's true, the tomb is empty. But they did not see the angels and they did not see the Lord Jesus. And then sometime later that day, Peter saw the Lord Jesus. It's only referenced, though, in the scriptures, we don't have an actual account of it. And then later in that day, two disciples are traveling to Emmaus, a seven-mile journey from Jerusalem. And as they're traveling along, along the road, a stranger comes up and begins to travel with them. And unbeknownst to them, this is the risen Lord Jesus. And Jesus travels with them, and he begins to explain to them how everything in the Old Testament pointed to the Messiah and as they sat down that evening and began to break bread Jesus thanked the Lord for their food and then they began to see that it was Jesus and so they got up and they ran seven miles back to Jerusalem and they entered the room where the disciples were and they said it's true what what the sisters have said that they have seen the Lord we saw him too And then in that very moment, Jesus appears to them and says, peace be to you. Picking up with our reading here from John's Gospel. And Jesus extends his peace to those in the room by saying, peace to you. He's saying, don't worry and don't be afraid. Relax. I've got everything under control. You don't have to be afraid or worried because I've got it I've got it taken care of. And Jesus then builds their confidence that it's him. He shows them the holes in his hands. He shows them. He affirms, "Yes, it is I, your crucified Lord." And he builds confidence that it's really him. And here's the main point of this text. Yes, it is a resurrection sighting. Yes, Jesus is affirming that he is Lord, that he is God, that he is in control. And that's why we can have peace. But the main point of this text is the commissioning of the disciples by the risen Christ. Jesus assures them of his peace, which is huge. And he reassures them after saying it once, he says it again. And that's huge. Because that means we can receive what Jesus is about to say in light of who Jesus is. We can have peace because he is in control so we can obey without fear or without concern because our trust is in him. And then Jesus goes on to say, as the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So he's saying, I'm sending you out the same way the father sent me. Me out now if Jesus is sending out people in the way that he has been sent it's important for us to ask how was Jesus sent and the answer is Jesus was sent to live with us with human beings John chapter 1 says the word that's talking about Jesus became flesh so he existed in eternity past as a spirit the son of God Spiritually existent, but he entered physically into human history and took on a body. The word became flesh and did what? And dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is so important to catch. You see, Jesus didn't show up in human history on Monday of Passion Week as a fully mature adult man and die on Friday. Jesus showed up 33 years before his big moment. Jesus showed up to become like us in every way. Every way. But without sin. That means that Jesus was born. That he could be like us. And Jesus learned That He could be like us. And Jesus grew that He could be like us. And Jesus ate so He could be like us. And Jesus slept so He could be like us. And Jesus worked so He could be like us. And Jesus made friends so He could be like us. And Jesus celebrated so He could be like us. And Jesus laughed so He could be like us. And Jesus cried so He could be like us. And Jesus experienced loss so that He could be like us. Jesus wasn't some holy outsider. Jesus was holy, but he was holy among us. He was an insider. He was very much one of us. He had to be. He had to be one of us so he could be our substitute so that he could save us from sin. Jesus was sent to be like us and live with us and to save us. And he says as much. He says that he came to give his life as a ransom. Jesus came to be like us so that he could die for us. But Jesus' life in our place and his death in our place was not the only reason that he came. In Mark's gospel, we're told that the disciples come to Jesus and they say to him, everyone is looking for you, Jesus. He had been healing people. And casting out demons. And now they were seeking for him. That he might do that for them. And they say everyone is looking for you Jesus. And Jesus' response is. We must go to the next town. Let us go to the next town. And preach there also. For this is why I came. So Jesus came to live in our place, and Jesus came to die in our place, but Jesus also came to preach. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record Jesus preaching, and his message was that people should repent for the kingdom of God was at hand. Yes, Jesus came to do good, to heal and cast out demons, and to set at liberty those who were oppressed. Yes, Jesus came to die and give his life as a substitute for sinners, without which there could be no peace with God and life with God. But Jesus was sent with a message to urgently proclaim, repent and turn to God. Now is the appointed time. And Jesus tells us a parable or story to that effect. One of the parables that Jesus told is called the parable of the vineyard, or sometimes it's called the parable of the tenants. And Jesus said there was a man who planted a vineyard and he dug a wine press and he made this fully functional uh, vineyard ready to be operated and to bear fruit and he he rented it out some to some tenants and then he sent his messengers his servants to come and to say well The vineyard owner would like some of the fruit now. But the tenants, they killed the servants. And he sent more servants. And they killed them too. And then finally the vineyard owner said, I'll send my son. They'll listen to my son. They'll treat him better. And they said, here is the heir. Let us kill him and the vineyard will be ours. And so they killed the son. Jesus tells this story, and it's very clear in the story that the vineyard is the people of Israel, that the tenants are the religious leaders, that the servants are the Old Testament prophets, and that He is the Son. And so they came with a message. They were messengers. He's come with a message. He's a messenger. So this is how Jesus was sent. He was sent to be among the people, with the people, with a message that the people should repent and turn to God. And it's interesting that the word sent in the original language, the Greek, it's the root word for our word apostle. Now we heard the word apostle, and we probably think about the hand-picked foundational leaders of the Christian church, like the apostle John, the apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter. All of these hand-picked people who had seen the risen Christ. But that word apostle, it also has a very common usage. Outside of Christianity, it was used to simply mean a messenger. A sent one with a message was an apostle. Jesus says, I've been sent. I've been sent and now I'm sending you. And he says this to the 12, and he calls them apostles, and they are messengers for sure. So we have, as we see in the, the parable, we have the Old Testament prophets. They're like apostles. They're messengers. We have Jesus. In the, the Bible in the New Testament, one of the letters, refers to him as the apostle and high priest of our faith. He's the messenger as well as the message and then we have the apostles. We have these hand-picked followers of Jesus who now have this message. And Jesus shows that he's authorizing them to be his messengers by two things here in our passage in John. First is the spirit and the second is the message, the authority in the message. He says to them, "Receive the spirit." And he's pointing to Pentecost Sunday. He's pointing to a day, about 50 days later, when the Holy Spirit would be poured out, not just on the 12, but on at least 120 Christians who were gathered together in prayer. That the Holy Spirit was to be the gift for the church. And then he gives them the authority of this message. Whoever sins you forgive are forgiven. Whoever sins you, you don't forgive are not forgiven and there's some there's some play in there in the original language that shows that it's something that has been done not something that's being done but something that's has that has been done which tells us that this is not a special gift given to a handful of men that they are able to forgive or not forgive sins because only God can forgive or not forgive sins. Rather, he's showing them the authority of the gospel message that when you preach the gospel to people, if they receive it, their sins are forgiven. If they reject it, their sins are not forgiven. There is no forgiveness for them. And so this message, this message is also given to the church. So since the things that he gave to those present in the room the night of the first Lord's day belong to the whole church. The spirit belongs to the whole church. The authority of the gospel to forgive sins belongs to the whole church. Since it belongs to the whole church and not a special group of men, then that means that Jesus is sending out, as he's been sent, not just a special handpicked group of men, but rather all Christians. All Christians, all those who have believed in Christ, who have surrendered their lives to Christ are sent with God's spirit as God's messengers to tell the people they live among and are embedded with to repent, which means we're all missionaries if we're christians we're missionaries jesus is the son of god what the bible says is true everyone is going to spend forever somewhere and it's our job then as christians to tell them how they can be made right with god and experience life with him starting now and continuing into eternity that's the message we have now as i mentioned the word apostle means messenger or sent one and that word's in the bible Apostle is in the Bible. But you may not have realized that the title missionary is not in the Bible. Missionary is not specifically referenced in the Bible. And so one of the reasons why we may struggle to think of ourselves as missionaries is because we often think of missions as something that happens on the other side of the world, not here. And missionaries are the people who go to the other side of the world, far away, to tell people about Jesus over there, not like the rest of us over here. I have a friend named Corey Johnson. Corey's an Acts 29 pastor in Illinois, and Corey said he didn't grow up in church. He didn't have a church background, and so when he came to know the Lord and he started getting involved in serving and getting involved in ministry— and getting around uh, other churches and people who had been Christians a long time he started hearing about missions and missionaries and he's like oh what's what's this new thing i've never heard of missions and missionaries and it was explained to him oh these are the missions is telling people about jesus over there missionaries are people who go over there and he's like oh that's weird i thought we all told jesus people about jesus everywhere I didn't know that that was something special or that those people were something special. I just thought that's what all of us were supposed to be doing. And Corey's absolutely right. All Christians are on a mission to spread the message of forgiveness of sins and new life in Jesus to everyone everywhere so that the glory of God covers the earth as the waters cover the sea, as the Old Testament prophets say. This is our message, this is our mission, which makes every Christian a missionary, not just a select group, or a hand-picked group, or special people, or really serious Christians. But all Christians, this is who we are. But we often don't live that way, do we? And I think part of the reason that we struggle to see ourselves as missionaries, and part of the reason that we don't live like missionaries, is because we often have an incorrect view Of what missionaries do sometimes we think of missionaries as people who go on the other side of the world they stand in a public place with like a bullhorn and they preach a message about Jesus and they call people to respond right there but in most parts of the world that's not even remotely close to what missionaries are doing in most parts of the world being a missionary involves lots of work figuring out the community and how to be involved. It involves lots of work meeting people and doing the slow process of building relationships and gaining trust. It involves lots of time spent serving others and finding ways to meet practical needs and making a genuine contribution to a particular community. It means lots of listening for on-ramps in conversations to point people to Jesus and to share the gospel. And so what if being on mission and being a missionary was as simple as living our ordinary lives embedded in the communities we're in with gospel intentionality, seeing all activities and all relationships as avenues for gospel witness and then relying on the Holy Spirit and listening to others closely for on-ramps in our conversations to make others aware of God's call to turn to Christ and experience new life in Him. It's, It's not easy, but it is simple. It's not complicated. What if being on mission and living like a missionary was as simple as that now don't hear what i'm not saying i'm not saying that we don't need to worry about taking the message of jesus around the world i'm not saying that unreached people groups or or people with little access to the gospel shouldn't concern us and i'm not saying that none of us should go somewhere else in the world i i honestly believe that uh That an ends-of-the-earth emphasis is probably an area of growth for us as a church. I think that's an area we could probably grow in. And Lord willing, we will. And Lord willing, there'll be someone here, maybe from among our children, who decides to go somewhere around the world and be a career missionary, a vocational on mission for Jesus among an unreached people group, Christians someday. But can you imagine with me what it would look like if we here in Aylesbury, in this room today, if we who are Christians embraced this identity of being missionaries where we live? What would our relationships with our neighbors look like if we believe that God has placed us on our street with a mission to be his messenger's to the people who live next door? What what would the involvement level of each of us in our community look like if we were trying to embed ourselves in our community for its good with the hope of seeing a whole people group transformed by the life-changing power of the gospel? Can you imagine how sports teams, ball games, Local concerts and festivals, school events, and serving in the community would all take on more significance if we embraced our missionary identity and began doing the hard work of relational, building of relationships rather, the hard work necessary to plant the seeds of the gospel among a group of people. Can you imagine what it would look like? Church family, this, this is who we are. This is our identity. This is, this is who we're called to be. And we either are or we're imposters. There's no such thing as a private faith in Jesus any more than Jesus is a private savior of the world. Let's answer the call to be God's missionary people living in his peace, being sent in the power of the spirit to do his work. The glory of God. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning as our musicians and our deacons come forward? And I'm going to pray, and after I pray, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is a time where we take the elements of bread and juice and we remember. Jesus, our Savior, who was sent and who lived among us with a message that he proclaimed that that reaches its culmination in his death and his resurrection, because it is only because of his death that we can be made right with God. We are called to repent and turn to God, but it is only because of what Jesus did that God can forgive us and still be just. And so today, if you are a Christian, you believe that when Jesus died, he died for you. You believe that when he rose from the dead, he made you reconciled to God. Then I'll invite you to take these elements and go back to your seat, and we'll all eat and drink them together. But if you've not surrendered your life to Christ, you don't need to do this, but you need to repent. You need to say, I am guilty as charged. I'm a sinner. I'm not just imperfect. I don't just make mistakes. I've said, done, and thought things that are offensive to God, that he calls sin. And God is right in calling me a sinner, and he's right in punishing me. But I call on God for his mercy. And I pray that when Jesus died, that I was included in his payment. And so God, be merciful to me. Include me in Jesus' payment. Give me a new heart, a new life. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Make me yours. And you can call on God today. And you can be saved. And you can begin a life of knowing and following Christ. So don't take the Lord's Supper if you've not surrendered your life to Jesus. But please, do business with God where you stand. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace today, for your kindness, your goodness, for your love that you would send your son Jesus, rather than leaving us to ourselves, that you would send your son Jesus to tell us of our need for you, to tell us who you are and what you're like and what's to come and how we can be with you. And Father, we're thankful that you didn't just send Jesus to tell us and leave us impotent to do anything about it, but that Jesus all the while was living that perfect life that we should live, but can't. That life of perfect obedience, never sinning, always serving, always loving, never being selfish, always honoring you. And then Jesus went to the cross We thank you, Lord, that he willingly laid down his life. He took on him the punishment that we deserve for all of our sins and all of our wrong. We thank you that because he is the son of God and lived a perfect life as a man, that his sacrifice was acceptable and three days later he rose from the dead. We're thankful, Lord, that we, by turning to him and away from a life of sin and rebellion and independence from you, we can be forgiven and adopted in, that we can be students who learn your ways, that we can be servants whom you use to serve others, and that we too can be messengers, missionaries on a mission with a message so that others might know Jesus too. Father, we thank you for who you are and what you've done. And we pray that your word would be at home in our hearts and that our lives will continually be changed as we bear fruit and become more like Jesus. Lord, save any here today, even from among our children who has not yet surrendered their life to Christ and made that possible.